So our scripture reading this morning is from Ephesians 4, and I'll be reading verses 15 and 16. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. If you don't have a Bible this morning, we do have some in the foyer that we'd love for you to, to grab and take home with you. If you do, follow along with me, starting in verse 15 of Ephesians 4. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Amen. Well, as we begin this morning, I'd invite you to take out the sermon outline that's found there in your bulletin, and I want to encourage you to to look at the title of the message today, okay? So you can see that the title is called Loving the Stranger. Now, some of you who know that we are doing a, a series on marriage would say to yourself, what are you talking about, loving the stranger? I know my spouse better than anyone else, so how can you say that my spouse could be a stranger to me? Well, I am really glad you asked that question. I'd like to take you back this morning to the first sermon that I preached in this series on marriage when I quoted the words of an ethics professor named Stanley Hauerwas. Hauerwas says this, We never know whom we marry. We just think we do. Or even if we first marry the right person, just give it a while, and he or she will change. For marriage, being the enormous thing that it is, means that we are not the same person after we have entered into it. The primary problem is learning how to love and care for the stranger that you find yourself married to. Now, the point that Howard Wass is making is that we as human beings are always changing. Marriage changes you. Having children changes you. Moving to a new home changes you. Getting a new job changes you. And so age also changes you. And the mere fact of being married also brings out and reveals traits within you that were there all along but that were hidden from everyone, including you. But now those traits have all been seen by your spouse. And your spouse has a way of letting you know that you have negative traits that need to be changed. In the days when you first fell in love, your spouse never told you that you needed to change. But now the idea that you need to change is being raised by your spouse on a regular basis. When all of these changes happen in our lives, there might be a time when both of you ask, who is this stranger that I am married to? How do I find the love that I need to to stay married to this stranger? The good news of the gospel is that there is power available to you to love your spouse in those times when they seem like a stranger to you. But how do you love the stranger? Let's look at three different types of power that are available to you today from God in order to help you to love the stranger spouse that you are married to, according to Ephesians 4. First of all, when your spouse becomes a stranger to you, 
You love her through the power of truth. In the context of Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is talking about the spiritual growth of the entire church. Paul writes in verse 15, Rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. The way to grow into the likeness of Jesus is through the powerful combination of love and truth. Now, the truth that Paul is talking about is doctrinal truth from the Bible. Paul is well aware that there are some false teachers that are out there. They want to destroy the church through deceitful schemes, according to verse 14. So the only way that a church can grow is through biblical truth that is constantly spoken in love to the church. But how does the idea of speaking the truth in love relate to a marriage? First, we need to remind ourselves that the purpose of marriage is not to find a soulmate, that one perfect person for us who will never ask us to change or who will block us from reaching our goals. That might be what romantic comedies say is the purpose of marriage, but it is not what the Bible says is the purpose of marriage for us. As we saw last week from Ephesians chapter 5, the goal of marriage is to sanctify us, to make us holy, to grow us out of our sins and our flaws into the new creation that God is creating us to be. And if God is using us to help our spouses to grow in Christ's likeness, to become a new creation in Christ, then the tools that we must use to help one another in becoming our future selves are speaking the truth in love with the power of grace. When you get married, you realize that marriage has the power of truth built right into it. I want you to think about a bridge this morning. Let's imagine that there are some structural defects in this particular bridge that you are thinking about that are hard to see. When you look at the bridge from a distance, you would say, oh, the bridge looks really, really good. But then I want you to take a look at this particular picture I brought with me today. Think about what that truck driver was thinking about. As he came to the end of that bridge, he realized something happened here that caused that bridge to collapse. Now, what happens is that when heavy trucks go over a bridge, what do they do? They put pressure on the bridge through the weight of the truck, and that reveals all of the flaws and cracks in the bridge. In this case, the flaws and cracks are plain for everyone to see. The bridge collapsed because it could not handle the weight of the trucks anymore. Suddenly, you see very clearly where all the flaws in the bridge were. The trucks did not create the weaknesses in the bridge. They simply revealed the weaknesses. And the same thing happens within every marriage. When you get married, do you know what your spouse is? Your spouse is a big old truck that goes across the fractured bridge of your heart and reveals all the cracks and all the flaws that are in your heart. 
Marriage, then, does not create your weaknesses and flaws. Marriage simply reveals those flaws. And those flaws can lead to sharp criticism from your spouse. And when spouses start to get criticism from someone that they thought was their soulmate, what conclusion can they reach? I must have married the wrong person. After all, if my spouse was my soulmate, they'd never criticize me. They'd never tell me to change. But the reality is they are telling you to change because they are seeing the flaws and cracks in your life. And so this is the wrong conclusion to reach when you start receiving criticism from your spouse. Marriage does not really bring you into confrontation with your spouse. Actually, marriage brings you into confrontation with yourself. Marriage shows you the truth about who you are. And if you are going to be the new creation in Christ that Jesus wants you to be, you need to do something very painful. You need to give your spouse the right to tell you what is wrong with you. You need to let him or her speak the truth to you. Ouch. When I was a young pastoral intern at a church, I worked with a young adult ministry. And there was one particular weekend when we were all going to go away on a retreat together that was about a three-hour ride away. Now, I could have chosen to ride in one of the vans with all of the other young adults, but that's not what I chose. Instead, I chose to ride in the van with the luggage and with my best friend, Kevin. It was just me and Kevin and the luggage in that particular van. After the retreat was over, Pastor Don, who was my boss, spoke some truth to me. He said to me, Glenn, I'm really disappointed that you chose to ride with Kevin to the retreat rather than with all of the other young adults. You can't be a good pastor if you're not willing to get close to people and get to know them. You really missed an opportunity here this weekend. Ouch. Now, was what Don said true? Yes. Did it also hurt? Yes. But did I need to hear that truth? Absolutely. And church, the same thing will frequently happen when you are married. We need to let our spouses speak painful truths to us so that we can grow into the people that Christ wants us to be. Now, it's possible for us to look at our spouse's flaws and say, I hate this flaw that I see in him. I need to find someone better than this. If you have ever thought that way, can I encourage you to ask yourself a question? Is it possible that the someone better that you are looking for might just be the person that you are already married to? And is it possible that God wants you to speak the truth in love to your spouse, to help him or her to grow into their better, glorious, future self in Christ? I think that is entirely possible. 
And let me encourage those of you who want to be married someday. Sometimes unmarried people will ask the question, well, how will I know if this is the person that I should marry? Marriage is such a huge decision. I don't want to make a mistake. How do I know if this is the right person to marry? Well, the first thing I would say to you is give your relationship enough time so that both of you can see the cracks and flaws in your hearts. If you are still saying to yourself, oh, he's just perfect, you're not ready to be married, I don't think. You will soon discover he ain't perfect, and neither are you. And so you need to realize that before you get married. But when you do see the cracks and flaws in one another, what do you want to do? Do you want to run away screaming about the horror of it all? Well, you shouldn't marry that person then. Or do you find a desire within both of you to work on those cracks and flaws together so that both of you might grow in love for one another and in love for Christ? If that's what your response is to the cracks and flaws in the person you love, you might just be ready to be married. That's what I would encourage you to think about. If you want to speak the truth in love to one another, you may just have found someone to marry yourself. When your spouse becomes a stranger, you love that person through the power of truth. And when your spouse becomes a stranger, you love her also through the power of love. We cannot just speak truth to our spouses. We must speak the truth in love. This phrase, in love, is used six times in the book of Ephesians. We see another example of this phrase, in love, in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 2. So if you brought your Bible here today, and I hope you did, look at that verse in Ephesians 5 and verse 2, where Paul writes, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. All ministry that we carry on in the church, and for that matter in our marriages, is carried out in love. Love is the distinguishing mark of the church and of the Christian. And so if you have no love in you, you also could say you have no Christ in you. Christ is love. And so everything that you need to be doing is touched by the love of Christ if you are a Christian. Love is our distinguishing mark. But this love cannot be disconnected from the truth. It's a life of love that embodies the truth of the gospel. Truth and love go hand in hand, they cannot be separated. And the love that we find in a Christian marriage has incredible power. It has the power to affirm you and to heal you of your deepest wounds and hurts in life. Because human marriage is really a picture of Christ's love for us in the church, it should not surprise us that marriage heals us in a miniature way, just like Christ 
heals us as well. In Christ, how does God see you today as a Christian? How does God view you? In Christ, God sees you as holy, righteous, and beautiful. That's how God views you today. Now, this world is very good at telling us about our flaws. But Christ's death on the cross for our sins covers our flaws and heals us of our sin and our diseases. He heals us because he loves us. There are a lot of voices in our world that are telling us that we are worthless, unloved, losers. But when our spouse loves us like Jesus loves his spouse, what happens? We are healed. Our spouse's love convinces us that we have our own distinctive beauty and worth. That's what happens in a Christian marriage. Before I was married, I didn't understand what was said about Isaac's marriage to Rebecca in Genesis chapter 24. I'd like for us to read that verse together out loud, Genesis 24 and verse 67. Let's read together. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Now, when I read that verse before I was married, I was always confused. Why would Isaac be comforted over his mother's death simply by his marriage to his wife, Rebekah? His mother was still gone. Sarah was still dead. So why was he comforted in his grief at that time? I think it's because of the power of love that you find in marriage. All of the love that Isaac missed from his mother, all of the affection that a mother has for her child, and all of the joy that a mom has in her son came flooding back into Isaac's life as soon as he got married to Rebekah, and he was healed. He was comforted by the love of his wife. Once I got married, I experienced what Isaac also experienced. The greatest cracks in my own life occurred to me because of the sudden death of my mother many years ago. But when God gave to me the gift of a wife in Wendy, he began to heal those cracks. I was comforted by the power of love that God had given to me in my wife. But what if you find it hard to love your spouse when you see the cracks and flaws in their life? Where does the power of love come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit who lives in you. One of the fruits of the Holy Spirit that is produced in you is the fruit of love. So if you pray for God to fill you with the Holy Spirit of love, He will do so as you do acts of love for your spouse. The power then comes from the spirit inside you. Sometimes, however, the issue is not that you lack love for your spouse. Sometimes the issue for us is that we don't know how to communicate love in a way 
or in a language that our spouse understands. I remember reading a story of a husband and a wife and the gifts that they brought, bought for one another on their birthdays. The husband wanted a birthday gift from his wife that he would never buy for himself. He wanted something that was somewhat extravagant. He wanted a new set of golf clubs. That was his desire for his birthday that year. But his wife was a very practical person, and so she knew that her husband needed new white shirts for his work. So what did she get for his birthday? She got him six new white shirts. Now, was the husband happy with those gifts? No. He was disappointed that his wife got him those white shirts. He was disappointed even though his wife was trying to communicate love with her gift. And the husband honestly did not do any better at buying a birthday gift for his wife. His wife, of course, was very practical, but he, as an extravagant man, decided that he was going to go out and buy this extravagant winter coat that would keep her very warm. So that's what he got for her birthday. But what she really wanted was a new washer and dryer for the family's clothes. She was very practical, and so that's what she wanted for her birthday. So was she happy with her birthday gift? No. She was also disappointed because her husband did not know her love language. One of the ways that we can learn each other's love languages is through the practical book, The Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. There's a picture of the book that I brought with me today. If you want to remember the book, you can find it on your outline later. The five love languages that are discussed in this book are words of affirmation, quality time, receiving gifts, acts of service for one another, and physical touch. This book was very helpful to me and my wife as we first got married in learning how to communicate to one another in a language that our spouse would understand. Frequently, we try to communicate love in a language that we understand, but not in a language that our spouse understands. And so we talk past each other. We're trying to say that I love you, but our spouse does not hear of that love because we're not communicating in their language. Just as a a fair warning, however, I do want to say that there was one part of this book that disappointed me. My wife uh, once asked me, what is your love language, Glenn? And I told her in all honesty, my love language is money. I always feel very loved when people give me money. And my wife said to me, money is not one of the love languages. She was very disappointed with me. I do think it would be very helpful, however, for husbands and wives to be able to learn how to speak the language of love to their spouse. That way, the power of love could be at work in helping the spouse to experience the love of their spouse for them and also to experience the love of Christ for them. So keep speaking your spouse's love language to him or her. Eventually, Christ's love and your love for your spouse will be communicated, it will get through to them, and your love for each other will be reignited even when you become strangers to one another. Finally, when your spouse becomes a stranger, you love her through the power of grace. 
In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is speaking about the growth and maturity of the entire church. He's not just talking about a growth and maturity of each individual Christian. That happens, of course, but what Paul is more interested in is that the entire church together would start to look like Jesus Christ. Each church, with all of the different joints that are connected to each other by the different ligaments, according to verse 16, is growing together so that it looks like Jesus. And in verse 16, when Paul says, when each part of the body in the church is working properly, that makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. There's that important phrase, in love, again. Let me talk to you about two different ways that this love expresses itself both in the church and in marriage. In the church and in marriage, love expresses itself through the gracious gifts of forgiveness and repentance. Over and over again in our marriages, we graciously forgive. And over and over again, God's grace leads us to repent of those sins that we commit against our spouses. This is the power of grace in marriage. If we just give our spouse truth without love, our spouse is not going to want to get close to us. They'll want to stay away from the hammer of truth that we keep pounding them with. But if we give our spouse just love without truth, your spouse will stop growing in Christ's likeness. If you never tell them the truth about their flaws, how are they ever going to become like Christ? They won't know the truth. They won't see where they need to grow. They won't see how they can become the glorious new creation that Jesus wants them to be. So what is the solution? Grace. It's grace that allows us to hold truth and love together. And it's grace that makes it possible for us to practice the two most important skills in marriage. Forgiveness and repentance. Only if we are very good at forgiving and very good at repenting can truth and love be kept together. The reason that we as Christian spouses can be good at both forgiving and repenting is because of the truth that we find in the gospel. What does the gospel teach us? We are so evil and flawed and sinful that Jesus had to die for us. There was no other way for us to be saved. We were so lost that nothing less than the death of God's Son for our sins would be able to bring us back to God. What amazing grace that Jesus has for us. Jesus then saw your heart to the bottom of it, but Jesus loved you to the skies. That's the gospel. And the grace and the forgiveness that Jesus extended to you enables you and empowers you to graciously forgive your spouse when they sin against you. Jesus laid down his life for you, forgiving you at a great cost to make you into something beautiful. 
And because Jesus has done that for you by grace, we also by grace can do the same thing for our spouse. And when our spouse forgives us by grace, we can then turn away from our sin and repent of it because we no longer want to hurt our spouse like that again. We can become the new creation that God means for us to be. In our home, on our living room wall, I have a picture of myself on my wedding day. Now, like most people, I looked really good on my wedding day. I was dressed in the best clothes that I could rent. And because I was a lot younger then, I was, how do I put it, just gorgeous. It was just a, a wonderful picture of who I was at that moment. But since that moment was now 28 years ago, some of you who perhaps are are very good at speaking the truth without love might look at that picture and say to me, wow, Glenn, you really went downhill from there, didn't you? You lost most of your hair. You added quite a few pounds. So how does it feel to know that you will never, ever look that good again? Well, if someone spoke such an obnoxious truth to me, here's how I would respond. Because of the power of truth and the power of love and the power of grace, one day in heaven, you are going to see me and Wendy looking even better than we looked on our wedding day. In the eyes of God, as the years have gone by, Wendy and I have made each other more beautiful, even on this earth. We have become like diamonds, being cut and polished and set as we have gotten to work on sanctifying one another in holiness. And so someday, as great as we looked on our wedding day, someday Wendy and I are going to stand before God in such stunning beauty that it will make those wedding clothes look like rags. That's how great we are going to look. May this vision of who God is creating you to be encourage you and strengthen you in those times when your spouse becomes a stranger to you. And may the power of truth and the power of love and the power of grace make of you the new creation that God is creating you to be. Let's pray together. God, how grateful we are for the gift of marriage. How grateful we are for spouses who speak the truth in love to us. Thank you, O God, that those spouses change us as they help us to see the cracks and flaws in our lives as they help to fill in those cracks and flaws by your love. We are grateful for that. Lord, I pray for those who are struggling in their marriages today. I pray for those who feel like a stranger, who feel like their spouse has become a stranger to them. I pray that you would help them to persevere. I pray that you will help them to speak the language of love to their spouse. And I pray that you would strengthen these marriages for your glory and for the people's good. Amen.